This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com The TalkSport fan network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to The Real EFL League One podcast, the podcast where we take a look at all the wonderful action that England's third tier has to offer each weekend. The 2023-24 campaign has just got underway and thankfully for our first edition of the season there is absolutely loads to discuss. I'm Adam Scully and I hope you all enjoyed this episode. If you do, please leave a five-star rating on the podcast platform of your choice. It really helps us to grow, especially since we're a relatively new entity in the audio space. So if you could drop a five stars for us, I'll come around and give you a big hug, especially if you're a poor fail fan, because I have a sneaky suspicion that you need one right now. I won't be on my own to discuss the action, of course. I'm joined today by the wonderful Gary Hutchinson, founder of The Real EFL. Gary, how are we? Hello. I've not been called wonderful, I don't even think, by my <laughs> partner recently. So thank you for that one introduction. How are you doing, Adam? <laughs> I'm doing really well. I'm also joined by Chris Lamming, a man who shares a love of football tactics and data, as I do. Chris, how did you enjoy the action this weekend? Well, enjoy might be a strong word as a Lincoln City supporter, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, but it was it was great to have uh, the AFL back. It was good to, to analyse all the games. And I'm sure we've got lots to talk about in the next hour or so. Well, I think the, the best place to start would be my personal favourite of the weekend. Gary, I'll throw to you first. If, if, if I told you a team went to an away ground, let's just say, against a tough side. It was a, a, a difficult game. And they had 51% of the ball. And they had 30 in shots compared to their, the home side's 12. What's, what, what, kind of, what kind of score are you predicting? Um, I'm certainly not predicting the score that uh, that we got. No, not at all. Um, yeah, it's strange, isn't it? It's like you say, more than 50% of the possession, 13 shots, four on target. It's only four shots fewer on target than, than Barnsley had. We are, of course, talking about Barnsley and Port Vale, which for many will be the result of the weekend. Seem to think it's something like the biggest margin uh, margin victory on the opening day since something like 1961-62. 1961, when Wolves beat Man City 8-1. Yeah. There is a man Incredible who's done research. That's great. <laughs> that is well done. It's the well first done. in the EFL since 2018, I think, when, uh, was it was it Luton beat Yeovil 8-3 uh, 2018? Was, I, remember, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that really, really well. So, and I'm not having any jokes about me remembering that Wolves result either. By the way, because I'm not quite that old. I would, I know, I'd get that from from other <laughs> other people. Um, look, so I've taken Barnsley Port Vale as, as kind of my pick. I've, I've watched the highlights through. Um, Barnsley looked lethal with the chances that they got. Devante Cole got a hat trick uh, ahead of the season. I think there was some worries about Barnsley. The change in manager, losing Mads Anderson, it felt like the momentum had had really gone. I think this result is mu- as much a reflection on how poor Port Vale were defensively um, as it is Barnsley. Uh, I think there was uh, Dan Jones, the, the lad playing for Port Vale at the back, had an absolute nightmare. I, I had him down as being directly responsible for at least at least two of the goals. Um, and bear in mind, you know, they've Port Vale have kind of shed some players over the summer. They've got a new management team in in Andy Crosby. Andy Crosby was, you know, a tough, uncompromising, nasty mm-hmm. defender. His team didn't show anything like that at all. 
Um, balls into the box really cost them. Barnsley delivered 14 crosses, six a success, and, and they scored from the three, four, five of those as well. XG. Now, I love XG. And I, I know Chris likes XG. I don't know where you fall on it, Adam, but it's, you know, it's one of I the... I love XG. I always... <laughs> Do you know what? That's the most that's the most enjoyment I've had out of somebody, another man <laughs> saying something to me for weeks and weeks. Um, XG in this game, Barnsley was 1.61. Over the course of a season, you might outperform your XG to the tune of six goals. But over the course of a single game, Port Vale's was 0.91. On paper, this game could quite easily have been 2-1. And at 1-0, by the way, Port Vale had a great chance, phenomenal save, could quite easily have gone to 1-0. But they just crumbled. If I'm a Port Vale fan, I'm really concerned after this. It was and I know an that's... okay first half, though, from Port Vale. I don't want to say first half. I know it was still 2-0, but it was only 2-0 at halftime. I think they had some good chances in the first half as well. And then the second kind of... I, I, it's hard to explain what happened to them, but I thought first half there was some positive things, and then it all just ripped apart, really. Yeah, Port Vale seemed to be a little bit slow to engage at times um, throughout the whole game, but particularly in the second half. I think what, you know, as it would for any team, you're conceding just on the brink of half time. You know, going in at one nil down, you're well in the game if you can up your performance in the second half. You know, there's, there's all to play, of course, and then to concede just before half time. And then just after half time as well, you know, it goes from one nil to, to three nil really in, in terms of game play, mm-hmm. just a matter of five or six minutes. It's game over at that point. And and what you want to see at that point then is just not getting trounced. You want to see a bit of reaction from your players, be hard to beat. You know the game's gone, but you want to see a little bit of resolve. But sadly, the Port Vale fans they didn't quite see that. But I, I agree with what Gaz said in that their biggest weakness was just defending the ball. From, from wide deliveries. Like, don't get me wrong, Barnsley's deliveries from wide were really good. So three of the, the crosses were like, really whipped in with some, some pace. Great deliveries, but you know you can concede one, one goal a game from a good delivery and you kind of smart to it then for the rest of the mm-hmm. game. To concede five of your seven goals from crosses, that's, that's a worry, really. And was it the fifth goal where the ball was literally just kind of half volleyed straight down the middle of the park? It was a brilliant ball, if my memory serves me correctly. But it was like it was like there was no no one in the centre of the entire like final third for for Port Vale. It was un- an unbelievable goal to concede. And before we move on, though, I just want to talk about a stat I have written down here about Devante Cole. He scored a hat trick, of course, for Barnsley in the twenty eighteen and nineteen season, though for Burton Albion on loan. He scored two goals, so he's already bettered his stat in one game than than three four, or four years ago from an entire season. Gary, before we move on, though, I just want to ask you about Andy Crosby. At the end of last season, when he took over from Daryl Clark, he lost three of his last four games, I believe his interim boss, starts this season 7-0 already. There was already question marks about his credentials. And, of course, you said he was a, he was a great player in his day, but uh, uh, just from strictly a manager's point of view, I mean, I, I would imagine a lot of fans have lost, not respect, but, but, but uh, you know, belief in him. To go forward now, 7-0 is, is heavy. And I understand clubs like Man United lost 7-0 to Liverpool, but there was already prior proof that things were working. You know, Port Vale, there really isn't. Where did, where did Port Vale go from here? I think it's really difficult because they were on a downward trajectory at the end of last season. Um, I recall Brian Gunn, manager of Norwich, losing seven goals on the opening day of the season and, and he didn't last a huge amount longer. Massive three or four games now coming up for Port Vale. I don't think they pulled the trigger this early. If you get four or five games down the line, they're out of the uh, out of the cup and, and scored maybe one, two goals, one point. It's going to be really difficult. Um, he's got an interesting setup there as well, hasn't he? Because he's got John Schofield as his assistant, who is... Um, kind of a, you know, a, a top coach and has been a manager. Um, there's the director of football there, Mr. Flickcroft, who I'm not a huge fan of personally. So, you know, it's quite a tough hierarchy to work under. Um, you know, if I was a betting man, and I'm absolutely not, but Andy Crosby, first manager to leave, you know, obviously the odds will have dropped, but it, it wouldn't be a bad bet at the moment. Yeah. And the I find it coincidental that their, their nickname, the Valiants, I think it's fair to say it, Yesterday, at least when we're recording Port Vale, or anything. But Chris, we'll move on though to a game that you are quite vocal about on 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 Twitter, at least. And I, I actually tend to agree between Bolton Wanderers and Lincoln. Of course, the game finished three 0 Lincoln City. The game finished three 0 Two corners and and uh, uh, one kind of in transition, but it was obviously very unlucky for it to go in right at the end. 
Talk to me about how the game unfolded and why you believe Lincoln were quite unfortunate, we'll just say. Well, I don't I don't want this to come across as too kind of Lincoln uh, kind of favourable in, in regard to that. Bolton definitely deserved to win the game. There's no denying Bolton deserved the three points. I do feel 3-0 was slightly flattering. Um, some responses I've had from, from Bolton supporters is that they, they didn't need to get into second, third, fourth gear because they were already 2-0 up. I think that's, that's, that's probably a fair point. So Lincoln were one of the best performing teams from defensive set pieces last season. Uh, it's really uncharacteristic for them to concede set piece goals and to have conceded one in the first five minutes was disappointing. And uh, then to concede a second early in the second half to make it 2-0 was, well, that was game over at that point, to be honest. Lincoln very rarely scored more than more than one goal in a game last season against one of the league favourites. It's very unlikely that was going to be the case. Um, Bolton had a lot of the ball. Their possession stats were, were pretty pretty dominant, but their, their clear-cut chances were, were quite low. Their XG was actually quite low. Expected goal suggests that it should have been 1-0, which would have been a, a completely fair result on the balance of play. So from a Bolton perspective, what I was really, really impressed with, more than, more than anything they did with the ball, which was impressive at times, um, they're just really well drilled, out of possession, and uh, the game management is outstanding, to be honest. The amount of times they broke up play, gave away little niggly fouls that were never going to result in yellow cards, but just stopped, stopped the counter-attacks, allowed them to get back into their shape, was, was really impressive. I know from a fan's perspective of an opposition, it's frustrating, um, but respecting their game management, you know, that's going to win them games. They they did dominate the ball at times and they will they will play teams off the park this season. I've, I've got no doubt about that. But you can't do that every game. And in some of those matches where you're not a, a 10 out of 10, you know, those those kind of dark hearts and that game management can get you over a line at times. So I was impressed with that. Um, from a Lincoln perspective, I think 3-0 might sound a bit kind of doom and gloom and it, they were completely battered and, you know, played through. I, I think that's, that's, that's pretty inaccurate. Bolton had the majority of the ball, but, but Lincoln were a threat on the break at times in the first half, particularly, and at the start of the second half, mm. the second goal. After that, to be honest, everyone might as well have gone home. Um, everyone knew it was going to be it was going to be a Bolton win, um, and then they, they scored their third on the break, which which happens when you, when Lincoln are chasing the game. But yeah, I think Bolton will definitely they lived up to the expectations of being a top two side. I, they're one of my favourites to get promoted this season, but I also saw enough from Lincoln to think that they'll also be absolutely fine. Well, speak, staying on that topic then of Ian Evitt's side, this is, of course, his... Would this be his fourth season now, or his third? I think it's his, I think it's his I feel like it's his fourth. Third. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like maybe it's third, third but even third still, that's, that's... I think it's the third season, yeah. But even still, it's plenty of time for him to be able to, you know, adapt or, or to, to fully impose his style. Of course, he's been there so long, and the players... When you watch them, they clearly know all the roles. Even when you know when the summer they lost, they lost players such as Connor Bradley as well back to Liverpool. But Gary, I want to ask you about Bolton. Chris touched on the fact that he thinks they'll be one of the favourites for promotion. At least, do you do you do you agree? Are you you inclined to agree with that? Yeah, hundred percent. We didn't see Bolton Wanderers at, at full throttle yesterday. I think you probably rarely see that um, with 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 any team on the opening day of the season, and uh, Barnsley included, um, that they are organised. That Ian Everett has put them on a, a an upward trajectory. He has improved them year on year, and he will improve them again this year. Um, they've got fantastic wing backs, which they use um, really well in Randall Williams and and Dacris Cogley, um, who's coming from Tranmere. Uh, yeah, they've got a cracking central midfield. They knock the ball about really nicely. They've got dangerous forwards. I actually think Lincoln gave a decent account of themselves yesterday in, a, in a, the defensive manner, bar the stupid um, goals that they gave away. And they were, it, it was schoolboy defending. Um, I don't think that Bolton looked like a top two side yesterday. I think they looked like a top six side. I think when you get six or seven games down the line and, and the, the new signings have settled in, and there's only a couple, of course, um, I think then you'll you'll begin to see the better, better Bolton Wanderers. will surprise me massively if Bolton are not one of two teams that are six, seven points clear of everybody else going into to mid to late April. And and there was absolutely the only surprise yesterday was the margin of score. They were always mm. going to get three points. I just didn't see them scoring three goals. Well, we'll move on now to Pride Park where Derby were defeated to or against Wigan Athletic in the opening day of the season. This was 
not an upsetting result. I think many Derby County fans were surprised by the result, maybe not so much surprised by the 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 way it came about and the way they played. It was I think Paul Warren said after the game, I did the write up on the real EFL, he said they were they didn't deserve to lose. I actually kind of agree. The fourth goal, Sonny Bradley plays a back pass and it's well, I actually, I actually thought it was a, a poor choice to give him the ball in the first place. I think, I think he was under pressure already, and it was on his weaker foot. He took a touch on the left foot and then tried to play it back, whatever. And then, of course, the the second goal, the winner again from Charlie White, who got his brace. The keeper kind of came out and he completely misread it, and then Charlie White heads it in. Being Charlie White, he's he, he would feed off situations like that. And Derby throughout the game had so many opportunities to score. James Collins had a phenomenal opportunity on his left foot, although I know he's not left-footed. He hit that wide. The goalkeeper for Wigan was outstanding. And But one thing that does strike me is when you look through the stats, Craig Forsyth had more shots than anyone else on the pitch. I think Derby are going to have goal-scoring problems this season. And, and for me, that highlights, highlights why. In the transfer window now, you see they're looking at Billy Sharp and I think Martin Waghorn is coming back to the club as well. It's it's At the moment, it seems to be a case of just trying to lump centre-forwards in to replace David McGoldrick uh, as opposed to getting a, a quality centre-forward. But from watching the game, it wasn't the it wasn't really the chances as much as the, uh, as the chance creation. I thought all their play was just wing-backs putting it into the box and yet they end the game with 21% crossing accuracy and it's not ideal just from what I saw I'd love to get your guys taken I just think the Derby's game plan was very centered around just just wing backs down the line whipping it in nobody on the end of it or the keeper would make a decent save or but even at that high crosses are low percentage chance opportunities anyway so I just think for, for me it, it's not so much the I mean you can get six center forwards on the pitch if you want if, if your game plan is simply to have four side cross for example or or, or you know I, I just think I just think it's it's pointless but I'd love to get your take on it because you could completely disagree with me Gary I'll, I'll start with you then what were your take on this game what were your takes on this game yeah first of all um to, just to mention Wigan Athletic after the summer that they've had you know I was chatting to um Barry Worthington Wigan podcaster he was fearful that they wouldn't even make the season um mm. so to come into this and to win at Pride Park on the opening day of the season arguably the toughest fixture other than Lincoln and Bolton but probably on on a par and the word on Charlie White obviously coming back into the side after his um, issues. He's really nice to see. And there's another striker later on I'm going to touch on as well. So fair play to Wigan, really uplifting result for them. They'll be fine this season, even with their their points deduction. Derby are the other team I think will be finishing in the top two. And I still believe that. I think that they're trying to find their patterns of play. One or two players have come in who will be settling into the Paul Warren way. You talk there about Sonny Bradley and you talk there about players like Joe Ward, for instance, who I thought had a decent game for them yesterday. It's going to take them some time to bed in. Paul Warren knows how to get out of this division, just like Stock Aiken and Walkman knew how to put pop songs in uh, number one in 1980, whatever. Paul Warren knows how to get teams out of League One in 2023. He does. That's why he's looking for a Charlie, uh, for a, a, a Billy Sharp and a Martin Waghorn to go with his Connor Washingtons, to go with his James Collins. They're all the same sort of centre forward. They're all like Michael Smith that he had at Rotherham. They're all that type of centre forward. For me, what they may lack at times um, is a dynamic centre forward, a younger centre forward. I mean, even the ones I think they were looking at on loan at one point were, were kind of the big lumps, the young big lumps. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, look, my big fear for a team is if they're not creating chances. And as you said there, they weren't creating quality chances, but they're getting the ball into the box of creating chances. Keep doing that, they'll score goals. This is a blip. Don't be surprised if in October there isn't a stat saying something like, Derby County haven't lost since the opening day of the season and they're all looking back at this just shrugging their shoulders. Yeah, I agree with well, Gary, well, to be honest. Sure. I, I, sorry, sorry. I feel, um, I, yeah, maybe disagree with you a little bit, Adam. In I think just Derby got mm-hmm. the ball into dangerous areas a lot. And sometimes it, it, it's just a probability game. Um, maybe their attacking isn't as refined as, as maybe we've seen other top teams in this division. But it, it never has been under Paul Warren. It's very much a volume game for him. And he's very, very good at drilling his team. I think Paul Warren is their, their biggest attribute, to be honest. I think he's their best, mm-hmm. their, their best, uh, their biggest strength. Um, but yeah, getting the ball, it wasn't even the, you know, you see the stats, you look at shots, you look at shots on target, but it's also just box entries. How many times did the ball inside the 18-yard box was 
just a lot here's a lot of times and yeah but um, how much reached a, a derby player is my point and also how many of those crosses reached a center forward and not craig Forsyth at the back post who's ultimately a wing, played wing back he's not really no, who you'd want to be your main goal your threat completely get your point i just think mm-hmm. if you if you create enough opportunities at some point you you, you score a goal and um, it reminds me of a game that uh, the link. I don't want to kind of bring it back to Lincoln too much, but that's obviously a first-hand experience. Um, I think it was Fleetwood last season. It may have been Accrington. Um, anyway, it was it was one nil to Lincoln, and then we kind of they sat back and it was just kind of box entry after box entry after box entry after box entry. And Lincoln are generally quite good at defending those sort of situations. But if you put enough in there. You know, it's it's football. It's humans. You're going. It's going to come off of someone's shin or someone's head or someone's shoulder. It's going to create havoc. It's not necessarily controlled. I feel Derby will improve, but I didn't see anything from Derby at all to for me to suggest that they're they're not quite the article that I thought they were going to be. To be honest, I think I agree. They need a centre forward. I think everyone needs a centre forward at this part of the season, don't they? You know, three weeks the transfer window left. Everyone wants a centre forward. Um, I fully believe they will find a centre forward that improves them and that they will play teams that are worse than Wigan because Wigan are a good side and they'll they'll pick up plenty of points. And ultimately, I mean they would have won one nil if it wasn't for two, let's say, errors they made, of course, Sonny Bradley firstly and then and then the second was the keeper coming out. So they could have won one nil. That's football, you know, not to be cliched. Ultimately that's what happens. But they did lose. Not pan- it's, it's, it's not time for fans to panic, although I know that is the nature of football fandom that they will. What we will move on, though, to is, is what I would deem as a worrying performance from a team. Wickham Wanderers. Uh, it finished 3-0. It could have been 3-0 after nine minutes. Gary, I'll come to you on this. This was one of the... not mo- I don't want to say most surprising results. I just think... First 10 minutes, I'm looking at the fact that Sam Nam has a penalty and then I'm saying to myself, it, it's nine minutes, this could be 3-0 and I'm, 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 I'm worried for Wickham. They're at home, they're in Adams Park and, and their fans are watching them get all, absolutely slaughtered by a team who are a very good side. Gary Caldwell's Exeter, obviously a brilliant side as well, but I'm just, I just want to focus on Wickham for now. Gary, talk to me about what went wrong, what, what, what went right for them as well because there was very little until the second half at least. That first 10 minutes kills you, doesn't it? I mean, you concede a goal in the first minute. I think it was the quickest goal of the weekend. Um, yeah. and, and and they just they looked visibly knocked straight away. Uh, and then they concede the second. And by the way, that was ter- a really, really poor goal to concede defensively. They concede the penalty on nine minutes. It's missed. And you think a missed penalty is 2-0. We can get back into this. Um, so that makes, by my reckoning, six of Exeter's uh, sorry, three of Exeter's six shots on target came in the first nine minutes. Actually, the scoreline flatters Exeter. Deserved to mm. win the game, yes, but 3-0, no. It's a, it's a case going back to the whole Lincoln-Bolton thing. We love XG. XG 2 to 1.56. So Exeter 2, Wickham to 1.56. Take the penalty out of that. Actually, Wickham probably had the slightly better XG, but they had no really value. No, valuable chances it was a cumulative xg it was 10 shots that were like a 0.15 rather than anything really solid um same old wickham that was the question i was asking myself they've got to move out from the gareth ainsworth era and are they going to do that by doing much of the same you know very very rarely does a manager come in and, and keep continuity 68 long passes they paid which is quite a bit i'm going to contrast that with another game later on where actually it's not as many as you would expect they just didn't show that resilience. And Wickham sides have in always under Gareth Ainsworth been tough to beat. When they were in League Two, when they came through into League One, it's how they got themselves into the into the championship. They gave away a second goal, it was terrible. The third goal that they gave away, um, and okay, it was late on, was absolutely awful as well. Uh, they just did not look solid. The quick start may have knocked them, but from a, a side of I'd call them seasoned professionals, you would expect more. One shot on target at home on the opening day of the season against a team who many are tipping to finish in the bottom six or seven, that's that's not convincing. And again, like with Port Vale, one or two Wickham fans might just be wondering, where do we go from here? I'll tell you where they go from here. Central Bank next weekend. If they don't get anything at Lincoln, no go, no points in, inside two matches. I'm not so again, I, I think the manager could. He'll probably be afforded a bit of time because they've got decent owners, but on that performance, he's got some work to do. Chris, 
Matt Bloomfield said in his post-match interview, he kind of well, well, they asked him what went wrong. He blamed everyone and their nan essentially. I'm not saying he used excuses, but there was a, a rant about preseason preparations, how many players were injured, Chris Farino. I mean, he he went through everything that went wrong. But then at the end of it, after his his long spiel about what went wrong, he said that he still believed the players that the team, the starting eleven that he put out on the pitch, were good enough to win the game. Are you inclined to agree? And also, from a coach's perspective, I'm interested to for you to tell us how important preseason actually is because I think supporters sometimes take it for granted as if if you didn't have a preseason, you'd still be fine in the season. It's never really the case. Wickham looked like they were still on preseason. But talk to us about what, why why preseason is important, especially at this level. Oh, great question. Uh, preseason is essential um, for for building. Look, people kind of often mention social media and kind of just in, in passing conversation about the lads kind of gelling. You know that that that, that idea of, of getting used to playing to each other, and that, of course, is an element of that. I think more importantly than that, it's it's systems. Uh, certain fees for teams that are highly structured, like Wickham have been. Um, historically under Ainsworth, knowing how to play in each phase of that phase of play is 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 incredibly important. What you'll often find, and I'm not speaking for every coach here, but what you'll often find is that most coaches um, develop in thirds. So you might spend a week or two, or maybe even more than that, on the on the on the defending third, then a middle third, and then eventually, once you kind of got that solidity, you can then focus on that kind of final finishing touches, which is often why in early season you often see some of those. Um, not the one, not the games that we've spoken about so far, but some of those, you know, slightly less exciting games that may be a lot of deep possession, not many chances created. When you can see a goal after a minute and you're two 0 down after five, you haven't had a chance to work on Plan B. You haven't had work chance to work on. Okay, well, this is what we do most of the time. But when we go a goal down, we switch to this. When we go two 0 down, we switch to this. That hasn't been done yet in preseason. It hasn't mm. been long enough in the season to develop that that strategy. So basically, all the work that you've done in preseason, which might not yet be finished, is kind of undone after five minutes. And I think getting yourself back into into a game, specifically at the start of the season, it is more more difficult now than it maybe is later in the season when it's slightly more structured. Um, so yeah, I've kind of felt sorry for them. I I do think Wickham could struggle this season. I don't think they're going to be worried about about relegation, but I think maybe in house they might have outside hopes of a playoff shout. And I. I've struggled to kind of put them at that high myself. But in terms of did they have an 11 players on the pitch capable of winning the game at the start? Yeah, individually. Yes, they absolutely did. But when you're 2-0 down after five minutes, it's, it's a long way back for any team. Did they do enough in the transfer window? Just sorry, before we move on. Like, do well, you think the they did enough isn't the shut yet. I think that's, that's yeah. worth mentioning, isn't it? Um, I'm just trying to have a look now. So really, you put me on the spot there. Well, Dale Taylor. They signed, they signed Dale Taylor, who I think will score goals at this level, and I think he's the sort of sort of robust player that you would expect them to you know to bring in. They lost Lewis. Brady Potts on loan as well. Yeah, do you know what? I, yeah. There'll still be there'll still be some moves. You know, all of these teams. We talk about all of these teams. We're we're a month away from the, from the transfer window, and when we're talking about such and such will be okay or such and such will struggle, you don't know who they're going to pull out of the bag. Um, for me, it was more about the way that they reacted to going the two goals down. I think under Gareth Ainsworth, first of all, they don't concede the second goal. You concede in the first minute, that can happen. Conceding the second goal was the big was the big one for me. And it just looked like a little rush of blood. And I just wonder, you know, Ainsworth's blueprint clearly at the moment isn't working at QPR. Sometimes just one person and one club work and it just doesn't work anywhere else. Danny, Danny and Nicky Cowley at Lincoln. I know we keep talking about Lincoln. Works there, doesn't work anywhere else. I'm just beginning to... Nathan Jones at Luton. Exactly, yeah. Nathan Jones at Luton, great great shout. Yeah, Eddie Howe, born... Well, no, he's doing well at Newcastle. Forget that. (laughs) (laughs) I think, yeah, I think it's it's fair to say that Wickham and Gareth Ainsworth both suffered in the same weekend pretty heavily. Actually, Gareth Ainsworth, unfortunately, suffered more. Although the... Uh, although this isn't a championship podcast, the result, uh, QPR's result didn't surprise me. But we will move on to Cambridge United and Oxford United. Chris, I'll, I'll, I'll come to you on this. You know, I, I watched the as much of the game as I could. I thought this was a really good performance from Cambridge United, especially the front four linked up incredibly well, in my own opinion. What was your take on it? They looked, they looked, they looked pretty decent. Yeah, I think a special shout out to to Jeanne, who played left wing. He got an assist. Um, well, I think it's two. I think it should count as two assists, really. 
Um, mm-hmm. The first goal, he he. So the Brophy, um, Eamon Brophy, Eamon Brophy, um, James Brophy, isn't it? He was dispossessed, dispossessed yeah. Brown on the right wing halfway line um, after some deep build-up from Oxford. And then Fed Jenner, who, who, who ran really quite directly uh, down the right wing and kind of got to the sort of corner of the 18-yard box. And you could argue that maybe the Oxford players didn't engage quick enough, but I, don't, I think it's quite... You've just got to respect his decision to shoot from that, from that position, really. Mm-hmm. Really good shot across the goalkeeper. But you could argue, um, you know, it was, it was an awkward shot to... An awkward shot to deal with maybe should have carried it away rather than back into the path of an on an on an onrushing um Lancaster. But I think it was an excellent, an excellent shot. Good, good direct play. And then he got an assist for the for the second goal, which was an outstanding play, really good attack. So he picked the ball up in kind of a deep wide left position. Brilliant turn to to drop a shoulder off a defender. Little one-two inside and then he was on his bike down the left wing, cross and then into um, I had me with a with a what he does best, which is scoring headers, and yeah, I think I think Cambridge deserved both those goals in terms of just in the moment. In those moments, they took those opportunities really well, and without the ball, they were really really robust. I, I was I was mm. much more impressed by Cambridge than I expected them to be. I think it's fair to say that the majority of people will have predicted an Oxford victory here. Uh, I certainly did, and I'm not worried about Oxford. I, I think they they looked every much. It was very much a first game of the season performance in terms of lots of deep possession, um, the, the struggle to really make many inroads in that final third. A bit similar to last season, really, for them at the moment. Um, mm. I think they've improved their eleven definitely, but I still think they're looking for that 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 final piece of the of the jigsaw top. But again, in terms of the coaching, those first two thirds of the pits from Oxford were excellent. Um, you know, in terms of just quality on the ball, they're they're going to be absolutely fine, and I think they could be up on around the playoffs. But yeah, I have to admit that how how comprehensive or just how complete Cambridge's performance was really surprised me. And uh, it was a pleasant surprise because I quite like Cambridge. And I like Mark Farner as well. Well, Gary, I actually called this game on in my notes, the Battle of the Young Minds, which when I read it out now uh, seems very cringy. So I apologise for the listeners for that. Uh, t- give me your take on the game then. Well, it's the University City derby, isn't it? Um, yeah. And... I've got a soft spot for Cambridge United. My wife's from Cambridge, um, and I, you know, I, I feel that they're a when I say a proper football team. You know, they feel like they're part of the community. They've got a nice old stadium, all that sort of thing. I think they'll struggle. I still think they'll struggle. Um, this was a good performance, no doubt whatsoever. You've got John, Jack Lancaster who scored what five goals in sixty four of them. You've got Gassam Mahadme who's you know not really done it at Portsmouth on loan, and he was at Burton and. Um, you know, I've said a minute ago about Derby County, you'll get to October and it'll be there, you know, haven't lost since the opening day of the season. Wouldn't surprise me if you don't get to the same time and, and you're talking about a had me going, hasn't scored since the opening day of the season. It really wouldn't surprise me mm-hmm. at all. Um, it's a good result for Cambridge. I really like Mark Bonner. I think he's a good coach. I think what they're trying to do at Cambridge is very positive. Pound for pound, they're weaker than they were last season. They only survived on the last day. I don't get too blinded by positive early results. The first day of the season throws up all sorts of anomalies. Um, I think if this game takes place at the end of August or in the middle of September, it's a completely different beast. As Chris said, Oxford lack that centre forward, that, that killer touch. They lacked it last season. I think they had they had an awful kind of mix last season of I think they had the the lowest second lowest xG faced so they shouldn't have conceded half the goals they did uh, and then they couldn't score up the top when they were creating chance after chance after chance for me you just I think they just need to get a center forward in and, and they'll be fine I think Cambridge have taken uh, a win here that probably probably they'll look back on and think how the hell did we do that when it comes to later in the season This podcast is sponsored by the wonderful people over at NordVPN. The 2023-24 campaign is set to draw to a close, but the football never truly stops. With the Olympics, Euro 2024 and the new season set to commence in no time, make sure you don't miss any of the action wherever you may be in the world by downloading NordVPN. For just the price of one cup of coffee per month, NordVPN allows you to watch your favourite teams, players, shows and movies anywhere in the world, even if they aren't available in your region, simply by switching the location on your device to one which is showing the content. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard, protecting your personal data and other sensitive information such as credit cards and passwords from falling into the wrong hands, which is always a worry when you travel abroad. 
And with just one subscription to NordVPN, you can use this service across six different devices, which is incredibly handy if you're traveling with your family and or loved ones. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash real EFL. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support our podcast too. The link is in the podcast episode description box. So now, back to the podcast. Away days are great, especially when your striker bags a last-minute winner. But there's nothing quite like playing at home. And do you know what? The same goes for McDonald's. Why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mm-hmm. Well, moving on to another team who had chance after chance after chance. Reading, in, at the start of the game, I thought looked pretty positive. I thought they were really good. They created a lot of chances. They couldn't quite score. But I thought the, the play from Ruben Sellers aside was was pretty decent and ultimately under the, the conditions of what the last couple of weeks or months were for Reading fans, I think that was a quite a, a positive start, at least to the season. I did look through a lot of just viewpoints from Reading supporters and there seemed to be a general consensus that the result didn't really matter that much, that it was more so the case that just having a club to go to and at the weekend was, was, was of paramount importance and I kind of quite like that idea. I was expecting to go into the comments and into the forums and threads and see someone giving out about this player, this player, this player, but it wasn't. It was all quite optimistic, saying that we just have a club to support, and I think that was quite beautiful to see, but the performance was pretty decent as well, and uh, until the goal, I think the goal was sloppy, in my own opinion. Chris, what did you make of the goal? In my own opinion, I just think I I think it was also sloppy and it was disappointing because the performance up till then had been really good. Yeah, I I can go completely hundred percent agree. It was it was sloppy that kind of just deep cross looping header just kind of evaded both the centre half and the goalkeeper. It was kind of an angle that you just thought how how's that even gone in? But you know what, Reading did not deserve that on the run of the game. Um, tell you what, the game was played at an incredibly high tempo. It was like it played at breakneck speed from both seasons. It was incredibly entertaining. Uh, wasn't a lot of sustained possession from either side, but it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was just good. It was really good fun. It was a really fun game to watch, wasn't it? And Reading absolutely deserved something from it. And it is refreshing to have that mentality from Reading fans that the results are relevant, the performances are relevant. At least we've got a club to go to. But it must mm-hmm. be, it must have been a positive with a lot of doom and gloom around the club at the moment and a lot of uncertainty. For them to realise that, because you know, a lot of a lot of people have, have um, predicted them to be in the bottom four this season. I know that there may be some off stuff, off field stuff, which could potentially contribute to that. But as it stands on the pitch, they've they've got a team, they've got a competitive team, which I don't know if everyone who had backed them to go down believed that they did. Uh, the fact they were able to register some of their players that there was a few question marks over helped, uh, but it was only actually Harvey Nibs that started, I think. Um, out of the, their new players, but yeah, I think there's, if they continue on this vein of form and they keep the intensity in their plays they had, and they've got such a set a threat from set pieces as well. That's something I noticed when I was watching back. Maybe they could be surprise everybody really and, and be be quite comfortable. Mm-hmm. Gary, I'd like to get your take on the situation at Reading. I understand we're reviewing reviewing the results of the weekend, but ten years ago. Wigan Athletic and Reading were both Premier League clubs in the 2012-2013 season. And then 10 years later, their fans, while the results of the weekend were different, the fans are just happy to have a club. And I think that's scary for one, but also kind of sad. It is. The Wigan situation I find a little frustrating because they're back Mm -hmm. here after two years and, and two or three years ago, they were in the same situation. None of their fans were complaining when they were spending money hand over fist to take the League One title two or three years ago. He's had Josh McGuinness up top, and I mean, I know he's still there now. So I find that a little bit frustrating. I think um, Reading or I think Wigan now fans are a little bit different. I think if they started spending money again, there'd be a few questions asked. But that's one of the one of the pet hates I always have with supporters is they're always happy to say you've got to get the checkbook out, you've got to buy, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, and then when they get plunged into it. Um, it's, you know, another section of fans comes out because the, a fan base isn't a whole. You can't say um, Reading fans are happy at this or unhappy at that because there's always going to be a section of people that uh, want the checkbook out, that are short-sighted, that don't understand football. The Reading fans I've met are very um, grounded. Uh, and like yourself, the, the feedback that I was hearing quite a lot yesterday and, and through today was, I'm pleased that we've got a club. 
I would question if they will have that attitude come December if they're in the bottom six of League One or not. There will already be people calling calling uh, calling them out. On yesterday's performance, I can't see that happening. If they can shrug off the off the field um, issues, and it's not, it's never that easy, is it? I understand that. Um, but actually, they look like they could be a decent prospect on the field. You know, the signings that they've made in in Charlie Savage, who was at this level regularly, a, a, a talented boy, Lewis Wing, who, um, you know, mm. good at this level. You've got Sam Smith in there. You've got Harvey Nibs in there. They've got some good players as well. Andy Carroll might be, be getting on a little bit. But I tell you something, if they start going route one and sticking it on his head, there'll be a few centre-halves that won't want to get on the, on the end of his sharp elbows. So... Yeah, I didn't think Reading would go down. I don't think they'll be on the cusp of the promotion race, but I don't think they'll go down. There is no shame in losing to a beaten playoff semi-finalist who, again, I mean, Chris said it was played at a breakneck speed, but who, again, I think are probably weaker pound for pound than they were at the end of last season. They'll be happy to have gone to Reading and come through that. And let me tell you, I don't think there'll be all that many teams that do come away with maximum points from the Majeski if that's how they continue to play all season. Well, Chris, just quickly before we move on, Gary spoke about the the beaten playoff semi-final side and of course I don't want to remind Peterborough fans what happened they all know but it wasn't just Reading that had a, a mental there was a mental side of it going into the game that that you were kind of, we were kind of analyzing there was also Peterborough because they had to they had to bounce back from that I mean their last competitive match was that hor- horror show we can just call it and today was our, our apologies this weekend the result was their first competitive game and and they, they managed to win 1-0. They kept a clean sheet. They weathered the storm. I think a criticism a lot last season was that, especially in away games, Peterborough tended not to, or Peterborough United, apologies, tended not to be able to hold on to leads away from home. So how impressed were you by Peterborough United's performance? Oh, that's a leading question. How impressed was I? I wasn't that impressed by them, to be honest. <laughs> um, uh, they were... I think if you're going to, as much as Reading were a Championship club last season, and 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 Peterborough obviously were, were a League One club, I think the majority of people would have expected the result that did happen today. I think I think mm-hmm. most people thought that uh, that Peterborough would have too much already. I certainly did. But as it as it transpired, I, I wasn't particularly. I feel like Reading's intensity maybe unsettled Peterborough a little a little bit, which stopped them kind of playing with any sort of control. Um, they dealt with the storm really well. There's no denying that. You know, they kept the ball out the net, and they. You know they cleared their lines when they when they had to. There wasn't a lot of deep build up, to be honest. From from Peterborough, took their chance. But from a purely from a psychological perspective, all you want to do after you've had a horrible experience like that, and of course it's not like they could put it right the next week. They've had to wait months until until they've had the opportunity to do that. They've gone to they've gone away for the first game of the season. They're coming back with three points. I think that that just kind of settles everybody then, and then they can mm-hmm. go into Saturday at home and be able to maybe play the game on their terms a little bit and. I expect to see Peterborough's performances kick on a little bit from where it was on Saturday, but they'll be delighted with with the result. And we go to Fratton Park now. Gary, Portsmouth equalised late on against Bristol Rovers. And it was, I mean, Fratton Park erupted in pure elation when the goal went in. Of course, Cassini Yengi made his debut and he, he, he scored as well in the 92nd minute, I believe. Talk to me about that performance. Matt Cox made his debut as well for Bristol Rovers, I think it's, and Luke Thomas too, who scored for Portsmouth, a wonderful goal. During the game, especially Luke Thomas's goal, there was criticism about Portsmouth's inability to defend counter-attacks because of, namely because of Marlon Pack in the middle. He maybe doesn't have quite have the legs anymore to be able to deal with transitions and the the, for, the goal the Bristol Rovers scored certainly showcased that. What were your takeaways from the game? Yeah, I mean, you're quite right. It wasn't a fantastic goal to concede. I did notice Giovanni Brown getting roundly booed as he queued up the, the assist as well, which um, which was nice. Look, let's be brutally honest. This is a, a, a good point for Bristol Rovers. 1.1 xG. Um Portsmouth 2.63. Portsmouth had 17 shots, only five on target, granted. Um, they had more possession. Uh, they, in my opinion, deserved the win. They created opportunities. They hit the post, I think, from long range. They had a good, solid penalty appeal turned down. Um, I think that they're going to be fine. Uh, they just need to settle. I think those, those um, the new signings need to settle in. I think in terms of legs in the middle, Regan Paul is somebody who absolutely will be able to defend on the counter. He's particularly quick. He's just got to settle in really to 
to to play and kind of in the, the the Portsmouth way. Gavin White, I thought, had a good game. I thought he created a couple of chances. I thought he could have got himself on the score sheet. Obviously, um, we're talking about Yangi getting the uh, getting the, the late equaliser, but it was absolutely no more than Portsmouth deserved. But Bristol Rovers, they did what they need to do, and they're looking very much like um, when I say a Wickham, I don't mean that offensively, but they're looking like a team that are strong, that are organised, that will take their chances on the counter against the the bigger and the better teams. Bristol Rovers' problem, in my opinion, last season was actually beating the teams in and around them, was getting the results that they should have got against the teams, you know, who mm-hmm. who who were expected to finish lower than them. So it was an intriguing game, but Pompey fans will feel really bitter that they didn't start the season with a win. Well, the owner actually came out yesterday after the game to say they're not quite on the transfer market yet and that a deal will be announced either today or tomorrow. As of recording, of course, this is Sunday, so maybe it's already done while we're recording. I can't actually check my phone at the moment. But that's exciting news anyway. We will move on, though, to Charlton and Leighton Orion. Chris, I'll come to you on this. This was a, an interesting game. I thought Charlton Athletic, while it was only 1-0, had a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of opportunities, but they had some opportunities to kind of kill the game off. But Leighton Orient were resilient enough, in my own opinion, and, and and the goal was quite nice as well, actually. I thought Alfie May did some great work during the game. While he didn't score, he was involved in the goal by taking the defender away, and then, of course, George Dobson runs in and, and pokes it home. Give me your thoughts, Chris, on the match. Yeah, I think uh, I think Charlton definitely deserved the win. I was really impressed with Charlton, um, particularly mm-hmm. in the second half. Um, they scored just before half time. Not to be honest, not a huge amount happened uh, in in the first half. There was there was an opportunity. The first real opportunity didn't didn't come for either side until kind of the half hour mark. Although it's a turnover at the base of Orient's kind of defensive third, a swift counter attack, but a but a comfortable save. And then on the forty fourth minute is when the opener. Uh, the opener arrived, mm. and he right. It was it was it was a good piece of play. Conceding just on the brink of half time is difficult for any any side, and and of course, from a psychological perspective, you, you can then, from Charlton's perspective, you can go into the second half and maybe impose yourself a little bit more on the game. Um, particularly in the second half, I thought thought Charlton were really impressive. Um, I think they've got all the ingredients of having a really strong season this season. Um, particularly impressed with their midfield three. I think there's a really nice balance in there who started. So you've got Dobson, who scored, who was a, a workhorse, incredibly good ball-winning midfielder, gets himself forward as well from time to time. Fraser, probably one of the best, most gifted technical players in League One. And I was incredibly impressed with uh, K. Roy Anderson, just an teenager who'd been playing the third of that midfield three. And he was just incredibly good on the ball. I was just really impressed with that. And that midfield three kind of dominated Orient's midfield at times I felt it was again similar to the Oxford game really um, in regard to in possession there was a lot of deep possession from Charlton the first two thirds in the first half mm-hmm. but it did seem to kind of make inroads in that second half and they had plenty of opportunities to to make it to make it 2-0 and to, to really seal it Panuja Kamara should have scored the second late on oh yes make he it should two-nil. yeah he should what a sign that is by the way uh, I'm a big fan <laughs> of him as well I, I think Charlton have got all the ingredients to really kick on this season. From an Orient's perspective, uh, I think they'll be okay. I, I agree. They were, they were solid enough. They were robust enough. Uh, didn't create a huge amount of opportunities. Um, expected mm-hmm. goals of, of just 0.48 and, and you know, that, that and just three on target for the whole for the whole game. But again, they're, they're, they seem a little unfinished at the moment, but I think they've got enough to stay in games. And I think, you know, a 1-0 defeat against a team that's likely to be up in and around the top six this season on the opening day is... It's not a bad start in terms of performance. It's it's a decent start, and they can they can kick them from there. And I think they'll I think they'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And we'll fly through these last couple of fixtures. Then the one I have here next up is Blackpool and Borden at Bloomfield Road. Of course, Neil Critchley's first competitive game back in charge of Blackpool. First half they were excellent, in my own opinion. I thought they were really good. Second half, and again, this was a criticism of. Critchley's team the last time around is that they always seem to take their foot off the gas. When you look at Barnsley's, you know, thrashing of Port Vale, they didn't take the foot off the gas in the second half when it was 2-0. They scored an extra five. Of course, Blackpool did. And I thought they kind of allowed Borden to get back into the game a little bit. Again, this is just my opinion. Borden maybe could have scored a goal or two, but it, it wasn't to be. I think ultimately it is two, three points. And I think Neil Critchley will be happy I think the fans are, are happy, but I just think second half was 
wasn't great. I don't want to be negative because they won 2 0, but I just I just don't think the second half was great from Blackpool. I think that is a little bit disappointing. The goals were excellent, though, especially uh, the, the second goal I loved, the little chip. And he started celebrating before it went in. I, I thought that, that was one of my favorite moments of the weekend. I thought that was amazing. Uh, Gary, I'll come to you then for Shrewsbury and Cheltenham Town. 1 0 Shrewsbury Town, of course. No Alfie May for Cheltenham Town as well. And it probably showed, maybe. Yeah, I, it was a, it was an odd game. The Mickey Moore derby. We're full of full of fancy name derbies, aren't we today or yesterday rather? Um, so it was it was the Mickey Moore derby. Look, a couple of words first of all before before anything. We talked about Charlie White, Dan Udo returned, and and that's massive for Shrewsbury. He missed almost all of last season. He had been electric in his first season there for them. Um, after moving from Telford United, he's going to be a big a big player for them. Um, but Joe. Neither side particularly impressed me. Shrewsbury looked a little more confident on the ball. They played a little bit more um, football, kind of spraying the ball about a little bit. But neither side, I, I thought, looked like they're you know they're going to trouble the top ten. I thought Cheltenham looked disjointed. Um, their xG, Cheltenham, by the way, was one point six eight, which is more than Shrewsbury. I've no idea where they've got that from. It must be cumulative again. Fourteen shots, three on target. I think the eleven that they didn't have on target must have been like pumps from the halfway line or something because they were. You know, they, they didn't impress me. I, I still have some question marks over Shrewsbury. They, they go, they're taking a different approach than, than last season. I think under Steve Cottrell, they had a not a massive budget, but they had a competitive kind of upper, um, lower half budget, kind of maybe 12th. I think they, they did spend a little bit. And sometimes I think they're not the top 20 guys said he came across as a little bit disingenuous when he was talking about budgets because he had clearly brought in decent players like Jordan Shippey, etc. I still think uh, Shrewsbury will be okay. I'm, I'm not sold on Ryan Bowman up top. I know he got the goal. He missed an absolute sitter, in my opinion. Um, and and I, I don't rate him. I don't rate the lad at all. Uh, but it was, there was a lot of long balls. When we talk about Wickham, 68 long balls. Cheltenham played 79. Shrewsbury played 84. It didn't look like a long ball game. But if somebody says to you Shrewsbury versus Cheltenham, the first thing you probably think of is kind of a little bit scrappy, a little bit. Uh, it looked more to me like, um, and, and I, I, I'm going to get pelters for this, looked more to me a little bit like a League Two game in terms of quality and in terms of approach. I think Shrewsbury will get better. Um, I'm not sure where Cheltenham get better from looking at yesterday. When you said the XG, I was kind of taken aback. Yeah, I didn't expect the XG to be that high, and I don't quite know. Obviously, they're right. Obviously, the XG is correct. I just don't quite know where the XG came from. But anyway, we will move on to our penultimate game of the podcast. Chris, Carlisle United versus Fleetwood Town. One all. Personally, I think it was maybe a fair result based on the, the chance, although you have you might have a different opinion, of course. So give me your take on the game, and then I have a, a question I want to kind of pose to you both. Okay. Well, firstly, I do agree with you. I think it was a fair result. Uh, it was it was an engrossing game, to be honest. It looked like two well-coached sides uh, who both attacked with quite efficiency, but the, the game was definitely highlighted. Well, had two key highlights, which was both goals, just outstanding strikes. So Carlisle's goal on 36 minutes, Owen Moxon from a free kick from a, all of 30 yards out. Just a fantastic strike. You know, we've, we've all got time for that sort of goal, haven't we? And then also Fleetwoods uh, with some neat, neat play around the Carlisle area, worked across the left-hand side, in-swinging cross, headed away towards the edge of the 18-yard box, right in the corner of it. And on-rushing Brendan Muradi absolutely smashes the ball. What a fantastic strike across the keeper, low and hard. Never it was so it clean. It was so oh, clean. Yeah. Yes, it was. It was so satisfying. It was it was so hard, so quick, so low, but, and the ball didn't even look like it spun and then it hit the and corner think, without making a yeah, sound. That's it. And it's the fact he's, it's not like he's, it's come to him. He he was at full power. He was steaming it, sprinting towards the ball to catch it on the volley. Like, oh, I just respect that. I respect <laughs> the ball he has to do that. It's fantastic. The boldness of it. Particularly in the second half, though, I think both sides, as I mentioned, looked, looked quite well coached. I think their attacking approaches, both of them look quite tight and quite, yeah, quite, yeah, quite um, well drilled, to be honest. So there's been a lot I said about Fleetwood off, uh, kind of behind the scenes, I think, hasn't there? And mm-hmm. but I think they've, they've they've got a strong a strong enough League One squad. I think they'll be absolutely fine. Um, Carlisle had a few question marks over, to be honest, but from what I saw yesterday, uh, that those kind of doubts were unfounded, really. And 
1-1 was the result. XG suggests that that was that was pretty fair. And Jots, especially shots on target, was pretty even. It was a pretty even game, but it was an entertaining game. I think both both sides will be quite satisfied with that. Moving on to next week. Well, I would have thought Paul Simpson was satisfied, but in his post-match interview, he wasn't. But it wasn't the result or the performance that got under Paul Simpson's skin. Gary, I'll throw to you on this then. It was the extra time. There was 13 minutes added on to this game and Paul Simpson was far from happy with it. He claimed that it's not good for player welfare and he said that someone's going to get injured. What's your take on that? Because he, I suppose he has a point. Like, you know, if Man City have 15 minutes added on to every game, they can replace one of their 10 centre-halves that get injured. Maybe at a club like Carlisle United, it's not really the same. Although, you know, I can see the case for stopping time-wasting too. What's your thoughts? Um, it's definitely going to be a major talking point. I don't buy into the player welfare. An extra seven or eight minutes on the pitch. Come on. I mean, we you know, back in the 80s, clubs used to play on Boxing Day and then the day after Boxing Day and you're expected to get on with it. And I'm not one of these, you know, kind of get on with it. It's a blah, blah, blah game and all that. I just think that to claim player welfare for an extra eight or nine you know, minutes in an afternoon, it's going to affect the teams that kind of break play up and, and probably don't exert themselves quite as much as they should anyway. Um, I I am actually all for the change and I know it's been unpopular. There are other elements of the rule changes that I'm not in favour of. Football fans pay a lot of money to go and watch games and there is nothing worse than in 75 minutes a team who will begin to try and game manage and you have 15, 20 minutes of going down injured, the ball going out, that sort of thing. And football is nothing without fans. This isn't a rule change for the good of the players. It's not a rule change to try and help teams. It's a rule change purely and simply to make the product of football better for you, for me, for everybody listening here. So in that respect, I'm all for it. I did wonder who the first manager was going to be to come out and moan about it. I'm very surprised it's a manager like Paul Simpson who's been involved in the England setup and who I actually believe is, is a promising and an engaging coach. You know, Steve Evans, I thought, might come out. Joey Barton, perhaps, but, but Paul Simpson... Um, so no, I'm not buying it myself. I'm I'm all for it. Yeah, I'd a bit on Joey Barton. I actually really like Paul Simpson. I interviewed him before the world, very soft spoken, and then I, I saw him given out, and I just, I can't I just can't imagine him getting angry with a referee. But yeah, he is a lovely man's way. I'm surprised. We'll move on to the last game then of the weekend, which was Northampton Town versus Stevenage. John Brady, of course, side against Steve Evans side. This was actually. Stevenage's first ever win at Sixfields, which was slightly surprising. Um, it was quite a late goal, but I'd like to get your guys taking this as well. I think Northampton Town were incredibly unlucky. They hit the post twice, I believe, in quick, relatively quick succession anyway. They had a number of chances and they, they couldn't put the ball into the net and then they ended up conceding the goal. Which of the two teams who are this is the battle of the newly promoted sides I wrote down again like using my uh, my wonderful creative mind that's that's all I could come up with <laughs> which of the two teams do you, do you think look strongest going into this season to hopefully stay up or even kick on and do maybe better uh, Chris I'll throw to you I think before Saturday I'd have, I'd have definitely said Stevenage I just think their style I mean you don't, you don't lose many games of football um, playing playing with that kind of risk-averse mm-hmm. system and style that, that Steve Evans, Evans favours. And, yeah, that's often enough to keep you up. I, I thought I thought Northampton would maybe be on the cusp. I think they'd be, they've got enough to, to stay up, but they could be definitely in that in that conversation of the bottom four, definitely. But, yeah, was, I think they were definitely unlucky on Saturday not to, not to get something from the game. And if they continue to perform like that, then, yeah, they could be, they could be absolutely fine. Gary, last question then of the of, of the podcast. How 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 much did you did you love the first week back then of League One? Because there were some unbelievable results. Obviously, apart from the Barnsley game, which I don't want to keep drilling home to Port Vale fans. How 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 happy are you that the football's back now? Not just not just League One, I suppose EFL and in general. Well, we'll take my team's result out of it um, because I wasn't particularly <laughs> happy about that. And I had the usual going to bed with you know, more people muted on Twitter than I woke up with. And that seems to be uh, something that happens whenever we get beaten. And um, well, um, it's en- it's engrossing. I think this League One, more than any other season, is really interesting because I don't think any of the teams that have come up are 
instantly going to go back down. I don't think, I think you'll talk about several of them in the relegation picture, but only as part of a group of 12 teams, maybe this, you know, that's how many I think could go down. The only relegation team, the relegation threatened team who I think put, turned in the sort of performance that I'd be worried about this weekend was Cheltenham. The others that have been in the conversation, the likes of Cambridge, the likes of Shrewsbury, Northampton um, did really well. Northampton, by the way, John Brady, just to say, to have the hit that he had when Bristol Rovers put seven past Scunthorpe and they missed out on the final day of the season, to have that, then to get them promoted again next season to pick them up, I think they're going to be fine. Um, it's absolutely fascinating. It really is. And I, uh, yeah, I'm obviously excited for the new League One season, not as much as Barnsley uh, supporters, considerably more than Wickham and Port Vale fans, without a doubt. Well, we'll wrap up the podcast here. Gary, Chris, thank you so much for joining me. I thoroughly enjoyed this weekend of League One action. Actually, this is my fourth weekend of EFL action since starting with the real EFL. So it's been a joy to write about and also to record the podcast with you guys. We'll be back next week to discuss all the wonderful action from England's third tier. Thank you all for listening and goodbye for now. Goodbye. See ya. It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching your team on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share box on the go. And you know what? Your mates already got booked for double dipping. But then late on, you steal in, grab the last nugget and snatch all three points. Perfect. Why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app? Are you in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 